Welcome to the Catholic Author Show, the show about fiction for modern Catholic authors. We talk creed, craft, and co-creation rooted in grit, grace, gods, and dragons. I'm your host, Dominic DeSouza, novel lover, all-around creative, and the founder of Catholic Author. We are here to inspire your faith and your fiction. We hope that you enjoy this episode. movie character, I would probably be one of my own characters, Lady Ella Meyerston, from um, a series I wrote several years ago. Uh, she was very optimistic, and that is something um, I am so known for among my friends and family that they have turned it into my nickname, Rosanna Optimist. <laughs> That's just what they call me sometimes. Um, so it's something I wrote into this character and some other quirks of me and other family members. We can get lost anywhere anytime so it takes real skill to be able to get lost anywhere but we we pull it off um so so yeah she okay. was more like me than any other character and it's been a long time at this point since i've written her but even so when people you know mention that they've read the book and how they like ella i'm like oh i'm so glad to hear that because if you don't like her you don't like me <laughs> yeah we're gonna be great friends that's right <laughs> fantastic well welcome everybody today we're joined by rosanna white um, she is the best-selling Christie Award-winning writer with dozens of books in print. She's also a homeschooling mom. She's a cover designer. She and her husband run the White Fire Publishing Group. Rosanna, it is good to have you with us. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. So in just a second, we're going to chat about your, your own origin story and then your latest book, Shadowed Loyalty, that just landed, well, yesterday as of this recording. Um, so... Welcome everyone to Catholic Author, the show about fiction for the modern Catholic author. We talk creed, craft, and co-creation rooted in grit, grace, gods, and dragons when we can squeeze them in. I'm your host, Dominic DeSouza, founder of Catholic Author, creative novel lover. We're here to inspire your faith and your fiction. So um, Rosanna, congratulations on Shadowed Loyalty. Thank you. Uh, hitting the presses. So, <clears throat> excuse me, before chatting about that, what is your origin story and... Uh, how did you get into writing? Well, I am one of those people who have been writing as long as I have known how to hold a pencil. Um, I still remember, you know, very first assignment in first grade of write a short story, which had to be like three sentences, you know, like the really short, short stories. And ever since then, I was just, I was a goner. <laughs> it was what I would love to do. Um, I loved writing before I really even loved reading. And um, it was just... It was always a passion. I always knew I wanted to write books, novels. When I was in primary school and people asked me what I wanted to be, I would have another answer too, because I didn't honestly realize you could just write books for a living. So I would say, I want to be a teacher and a novelist or an archeologist and a novelist. And eventually I went, who am I fooling? I just want to be a novelist. So I decided uh -huh. I would go all in and pursue the the writing and also learning about the publishing industry and I have managed to make my entire life revolve around books so pretty happy over here. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, you mentioned archaeology was that just for the fun of it or is, did you actually have an interest in archaeology? I, well, I did actually have an interest. I love history so the discovery of history has always mm. been really exciting for me. Um, 
I'm not an archaeologist, but I still watch a lot of uh, documentaries and television shows about archaeology. And I just, I love that discovery of history. So I kind of, I write historicals almost entirely. So I almost view it as I'm uncovering history for people. So just, I don't get my hands dirty. That's okay. <laughs> How, um, well, why don't we talk about, um, uh, shadowed loyalty and and then before that could you paint a picture for us is there an an era of history that you keep coming back to that most of your novels are in or do you write across the gamut what are your your historical interests there my well i always tell people when they ask me this my interest is history i actually love just figuring out what sets an era apart and what makes one era different from another. You know, what's the new technology in 1750 or 1850 or 1950? Mm -hmm. um, so I have written from, I have some ancient biblical works, you know, Old Testament, all the way up to a few contemporaries, which are strange. Um, but most of my books these days are set in England between 1900 and um, 1918, so Edwardian through World War One. And that's largely because I got a contract with Bethany House Publishers for an Edwardian series, the one with Lady Ella, and um, they just want me to keep going back to it. So that's fine. Mm -hmm. I get to really dig deep and learn about some of the very interesting and, you know, small details of an era at this point. I'm on, I don't know, book 12 in this era or something. So, Wow. Um, what's something that, like, unexpected that you learned in, in your research that you just you never thought was a thing and it just surprised you and perhaps you incorporated it into a, into one of them I think there's probably one of those for each book um, so okay. I mean everything from learning that in the opening days of World War one there was a symphony or orchestra made up of Belgian refugees raising money to send back home um, and the role of the arts in World War One was something that was just so interesting. I had to incorporate it into a whole series. Um, they were recruiting novelists to put propaganda in their novels. So, of course, that interested huh. me. I was like, okay. whoa, really? Yeah. Um, and, you know, King George actually changed his last name during World War One so that it didn't sound German. That was fascinating. Um, for this story in particular, I, I read quite a few books on the mafia and something that surprised me was that the mafia we know from, you know, movies like The Godfather and just kind of pop fiction and movies is um, the mafia that came to be after Al Capone rose to power in the late 1920s. Before that, mm. the mafia was a very different organization. So I set my book on, on the brink. Um, it's still oh. old world bosses, but Capone is starting to claw his way up. And so it was that period of change. And uh, I loved just being able to incorporate some of the old rules that they used to live by. Um, mm -hmm. The most important one being family was the most important thing to these old world oh. mafia bosses. So you could mess with another boss, you could kill other mafiosi, but you did not touch their families. And Capone just blew that out of the water. Wow. Um, I have obviously not watched or read enough mafiosi <laughs> stuff, like you've mentioned. A couple of shows, and some of them are just like gripping. But, um, well, why don't we just go there? What is So what is Shadowed Loyalty about? Shadowed Loyalty? Uh, yeah. Is about um, the daughter of a fictional mob boss, um, Manny, uh, Georgie, Georgiano Mancari. Um, and so I kind of wanted to come at this story of, you know, what if... There's your kind of traditional setup of a government agent using a girl to try to get to her criminal father, 
but the agent isn't the good guy. And he's not necessarily a bad guy, but the good guy is definitely um, the girl, Sabina, and her fiancé, Lorenzo, who is actually um, also in a mafia family, but wanted out. So he's pursuing a career in the law and is a man of deep faith. And so I just thought it would be so much fun to explore this world through the lens of just a girl who loves her father, but is just beginning to realize what he is and what he does to provide for them. And how do you reconcile that? How do you reconcile the love you feel for family with the realization of the sins that they refuse to let go of? That's um, okay. Light, easy stuff. I'm kind of at a loss for words here. I just need to think about that for a second. (laughs) Wow. What inspired that? Like, where did that come from? Like, it's such a shift in, you know, you mentioned being more Edwardian and so on. And then going into this, I imagine you you needed some downtime, a bunch of research, or did, was it a character that just kind of blew you away that you had to explore? Well, I mean, interestingly, I actually came up with this story 14 years ago and wrote the first draft when my son, who is now 14, was a baby in a bouncy chair, so that tells you how long ago it was. So it was before I had written any of this other stuff. And um, I, you know, I just, I love, I have always loved the idea of saying, you think, you know, you think, you know, somebody, or you think, you know, this stereotype of a person, right? Mm -hmm. Well, what if we Mm -hmm. flip it on its head a little bit? So, you know, let's get to know these people we brand as criminals. Um, And on the other hand, let's get to know the innocents who are kind of just tagged you know, pulled along with them. Um, so it is actually themes like this I do incorporate into many of my lighter books, um, just usually a little more tangentially. Uh, so, you know, I, I have a series about a family of thieves, but they're, they're noble thieves as thieves go. You know, they have a code. They would never hurt anybody. Um, so this is definitely a departure from that. But it's also, you know, still very much in, in the vein of things I love to explore of how the light of God shines most brightly when it's against the darkness of humanity. And humanity has always been dark, right? I mean, you know, studying the life of Christ and Holy Week, we're not long out of Holy Week when we're recording this, and the things people did to him and he went through. It's like, you know, this this is who we have always been. We have always been willing to sell people out and kill them for money. And we've always been willing to, you know, trade our own souls for what we perceive as gain in the physical world. The mafia just kind of made it a career. <laughs> so, you know, I, I always just want to see the people behind this, mm-hmm. though. So that's that's what I decided to do with Sabina and Lorenzo in this story. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, I remember a few years back, actually, no, a few, 10 years ago, I watched The Godfather uh, trilogy for the first time. And, um, I think I got like midway through the second one and all of a sudden realized, oh, I can understand their, their culture, you know, from their point of view, how, I don't know, they, they see themselves as the barons and the, the knights of an older world, not accountable to a law. You know, I'd always pictured them as being just, um, uh, heavyweights throwing themselves around leeching off of you know poor people and so on but to actually think no they're uh, maybe back then maybe not anymore um (laughs) but they were preserving far older tribal customs of i protect my area and uh, you know i 
I don't know. It just it felt like a glimpse into an, a much older world. Um, watching that. Yeah, very much so. I mean, when you study the origins of the mafia, they were actually born to protect common Italian citizens from a very corrupt government. So, I mean, the story is that, you know, this woman's mm. child was killed by corrupt, corrupt government officials and she ran out into the street carrying this child screaming, mafia, mafia, which means my child, my child. And the oh, men wow. of the town banded together for justice, vigilante uh, style. But yeah. that became the only way they could protect their own. And when they started immigrating to America, they brought that with them. And they had to because they were met with persecution here. Um, everyone mm. was, the, the authorities here just said, let them kill each other. We don't care. So they still had to maintain that you know, community presence almost. Like they were the protectors of their people. They looked out for each other. Yeah. Yeah. And it just became, we'll protect them at any cost. And then it Mm -hmm. became, well, you know, once we have a little bit of power, well, let's get a little bit more and let's get some more money Mm -hmm. so we can really protect our people. And you know, you know how it goes, right? It starts off noble, but power corrupts. Fascinating. Um, So I'm curious, you mentioned that this was published through Chrism. Uh, as opposed to Whitefire. Uh, so what's the difference? What does Whitefire do? And you're also involved in Chrism. And why did you publish with Chrism? Right. Well, Whitefire is a company my husband and I started many years ago. At this point, we'll just leave it at many, many years ago rather than aging ourselves. Um, and it was just created to be a Christian publisher of both fiction and nonfiction. And we ran it that way for about 10 years. And then we started um, branching things off into imprints to help better reach a niche audience. So we have Ashbury Lane, that's our dedicated romance line, and White Spark, that's our dedicated young reader line. And we decided to launch Chrism Press as our dedicated Catholic and Orthodox line after some conversations with co-founders Rhonda and Karen, um, who, you know, kept saying, ah, one of these days we're going to start a Chrism or we're going to start a Catholic publishing house. And we're like, what? Well, you know, we could help you with this. Um, So we decided it would just be fun to put it under the white fire banner. And that way they don't have to deal with all the business stuff. um, And you have the benefit of our years of expertise here. And, um, you know, we get to kind of just expand. And um, we've always had a heart toward unity within the broader church, Protestant, Mm -hmm. Catholic, whatever denomination. We want to just speak the light of Christ. You know, we're called to be one body. So this was another way to do that and um, one that we've really enjoyed. And so when we announced that, you know, Chrism would be uh, opening its doors and taking fiction, they focus entirely on fiction. I had this novel sitting around for you know, 14 years and um, I had actually sent it to Bethany House who said, eh, this is not our thing. <laughs> Feel free to do whatever you please with it. Um, so I pleased to put it with Chrism and figured, hey, it would make a fun addition to their line. And um, it was really fun working with them specifically on it with the idea of th- this is a Sicilian family. They're obviously of deep Catholic roots and they really helped me bring that out and bring it to fullness and to life. And Ooh, intriguing. Yeah. Now, I'm given to understand that you're Catholic now yourself. I'm actually still in the RCIA process, but we will be here in okay. a few months. Yeah. Uh, congratulations. That's wonderful. I'm So can I ask about that process? Like you mentioned, yeah. you're um, uh, Christian, but now you're writing about, as you said, Catholic Sicilians. What was that like for you getting into 
not only a different culture, but maybe a different sort of religious headspace or yeah. was that a challenging or? It, it was. When I read the original manuscript, the first draft from 14 years ago to like today, you know, I just laughed because I was like, oh my goodness, I knew nothing, <laughs> nothing about Catholicism. <laughs> okay. I mean, I knew that, you know, at the core, it was still the same Christian faith, but I wasn't using the right vocabulary and mm. the practices were all wrong because, of course, you know, custom and tradition is very important in the Catholic faith and not so much in because Protestant is so fractured. Um, so it was it was definitely funny to go back and reread it. Even the, I was rewriting it before we made our decision to pursue Catholicism. Um, but even so, I'd learned so much. And part of that was through another book I wrote that had um, Catholic characters called The Number of Love about Belgians during World War One. And I actually, um, that was when I kind of met up again with Rhonda, and I asked her if she would read this for me to check for accuracy in the faith elements. And she did and was awesome. And it was through a lot of those conversations that I really started looking at it more deeply and gaining an appreciation for it. And this is probably true of a lot of things in my life. It's when I write about them that I really come to mm -hmm. understand them. So that was, you know, just a kind of interesting fact of, of our own journey. Um, and otherwise, you know, my husband and I are very um, research-oriented people. We, we do love history. We love tradition. So we had on our own just been reading more of the church fathers and trying to understand the roots of Christianity more. And big surprise as to where that led us, right? <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, it's been quite a journey and quite a process. Um, but it's also one of those things where when you look at, you know, look at the things I write, most of them are Church of England, which is mm -hmm. pretty close <laughs> as, as Protestants go. Um, but you can, you know, I can kind of track my own growth, but also see where it's always been there. Like I've always leaned in this direction. Um, I just hadn't realized what that direction was until more recently. Mm -hmm. So it definitely has that feeling of coming home. Yeah. It's like that. I don't know if it's a koan or not, but it's like, you know, the, the, journey reveals the destination mm -hmm. um can i ask if there was like a, a particular thing that just really clicked or really prompted you to go this is a, a, a choice i need to make you know considering being catholic was there a moment or is there a story there on that oh there it was it was several moments um during the last couple years as my husband and i actually uh, we were the education leaders of the church we were in. And so, you know, very kind of integral parts of this church. And we would lead discussions and ask questions and, um, you know, try to better understand different elements of the faith. And we would often just get these blank looks from people when we would, you know, try to pinpoint something. And it was like, we're, we're obviously not fitting in here anymore. Um, so it was just getting more and more difficult to kind of play that game. And so there was just a point where I said, you know, we can't leave just to leave. We can only leave if we're going somewhere. Where would we go? And my husband's like, you know very well where we would go. But I had that, that block. Like my husband's family is Italian. So he grew up with Catholic okay. in his background, even though they weren't practicing at the time. So it wasn't quite the mental hurdle for him that it was for me. Um, but I just kind of came to this realization that if unity in the greater church is something I desire, you can't be unified and scattered. So you have to have a place to rally back to. 
And I, when I asked myself, where is that? There was only one answer, and that was the, the church that hasn't really changed since the dawn of the church. So um, there was just a weekend. It was actually the weekend of my daughter's birthday last year, and my husband and I took a lot of long walks through the beautiful autumn and said, I think this is what we have to do. And as soon as we made that decision, it was just like this flood of not only peace, but joy filled us. And wow. unlike anything we have ever experienced. And um, it only takes talking about it for it to come bubbling back up. So definitely something that, you know, we knew, we knew that this was what God wanted us to do and where he wanted us to be. Wow. I, I personally have just loads of other questions, but it's kind of beyond the scope of this show. So... <laughs> Thank you for sharing all of that, Rosianna. That was beautiful. Let's come back to the, um, uh, well, a question I like to ask people is, is there a, a legend or a story then growing up that, that really resonated with you and that you like to come back to? Maybe it was formative for you in some way. Perhaps it was a novel or a movie or something. Um, there have been all manner of them. So I have always been hugely influenced by story. So, you know, thinking in the terms of like legend, like the never ending story was a movie I loved as a kid. Anything with princesses, of course, very typical in that. Um, and then when it comes to just novels, there were, there were again several. There was um, Ellen Montgomery's Emily series, which is about a writer. Emily's a writer and it kind of follows her journey. And so, of course, I connected deeply with that as a child. Um, and then C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, but in particular, The Last Battle. Um, mm -hmm. I just reread the whole series to my kids a couple years ago, and I was really looking forward to getting to this book because I remembered nothing about the plot, but I remembered so much about the theology, which is hilarious because I read it at age 10. But that's what oh, stuck wow. with me and just helped inform and form my faith through my whole life was this these ideas that Lewis put to words in, in the shell of a story about, you know, what true faith is and how if heaven is the reality, this is just an imitation. And, you know, the idea that, you know, Aslan is not a tame lion. God is not a tame God and he does not call us to a tame faith. So that, that probably gets the gold star, the last battle by CS Lewis. I would agree with that. That one and the, um, Magician's nephew. Mm. They were the weirdest out of all of them, and I loved that. Out of four, I would just I keep going. And the silver chair. For some reason, those feel like the greatest frontiers, mm -hmm. um, the weirdest frontiers. You know, um, I think uh, Don Treader obviously is a fast runner up, sailor up. But um, I want to ask you about that one point. Like Asim's not a tame lion. You know, Christian fiction or even Catholic fiction. You know to try to use that phrase is also not a tame line. It's actually the um, interview. I think that came out right before this one with Verity Lucia is about that same sort of idea of um, this concept that it's, we need to sort of restrict ourselves to only writing things that are safe and, you know, for the choir. And, and yet it, it's not the th kind of thing that resonates with the majority of, uh, readerships, especially those who might describe themselves as nuns, N-O-N-E's, you know, <laughs> spiritual and not religious and, and just burned by all kinds of reasons to want to run away from everything and, and try to find a truth that really makes sense and so on. To write stories for them come out of a different space. And I think especially today, I'm curious what you think here, really embrace that sense that he is not 
uh, a tame line and there's a lot that needs to be shaken up and deconstructed and rethought of and sort of um rewilding you know yeah. how to approach all that i'm curious what comes to your mind as you, you've probably thought about this yourself oh yeah we've talked about it thought about it a lot over the years especially um being in the Christian fiction world for so long, I've watched it evolve and it has evolved from that. Well, these are just safe books. Um, I started reading adult Christian fiction when I was 11 and it was fine for me at 11. And now I'm looking at what's being published now going, nope, I would not let my 11 year old read that because it's, Yes, it's Christian, but it is not for children because it's dealing with real things and hard things. So it's mm. been so beautiful, actually, watching the evolution of the industry as my generation has grown up and um, basically said, I don't I don't want the sweet stuff. Right. We have enough of that. It's not real. I live in this mm. world. Show me how show me how to live as a Christian in this world. And so mm. finally, um, the industry is responding to that. And it's great to see. But there's still then so many people who don't realize that the industry has responded to that. So they have this idea that, well, if it's faith fiction, faith-based, you can just dismiss it. Um, and then other people who just don't even know that it exists and just bemoan how if you pick up a regular mainstream book, it might have the real world, but it has no hope a lot of times. And it dwells so much on the things that they don't want to dwell on. So I love the idea that we can we can have both. We can both have real stories and deep stories and challenging stories that resonate, but we can also do it from this place of hope that we live in and we can shine that light and spread that hope to the world. And that's what we're called to do. So I have always viewed writing as, you know, the thing God has called me to, the ministry he has led me to, as my way of of sharing him with whoever might pick it up and if that's mostly people who already have a faith i view my job as challenging them to a deeper faith and you know those who don't have faith hopefully helping them see that it's not something we tack on and it's not an excuse it's what allows us to walk through life with courage right yeah it's not a crutch right. um i think it was either lewis or chesterton i don't know who said Probably both of you them. Don't, <laughs> both of them. Uh, you don't turn to Christianity for safety. You go because you can't choose anything else and yeah. you prepare to be crucified in a way yeah. uh, by it. There's a beautiful quote I actually just saw from Pope Francis yesterday. I shared it on uh, the Instagram account. It goes, um, I think it perfectly applies also to Catholic fiction writers, you know, where he says, the ministers of the gospel as anybody must be people who can warm the hearts of the people who walk through the dark night with them who know how to dialogue and to descend themselves into their people's night into the darkness but without getting lost mm, yeah i thought that was that just that sums it up perfectly it's like i've long said being a faith-inspired writer uh you know your your faith doesn't mean it's a straitjacket on your creativity but it's a lifeline that lets you go anywhere with without getting lost you know exactly um, yeah that's and chrism has been awesome in that um and so i want to ask you about you know creating characters along those lines um for those who are watching this or listening to this if you're enjoying this please hit like it does help more people to learn more about uh, Rosianna and, and her work with with uh, White Fire and Chrism. Um, briefly, this interview, it's a preview or it's like an insight into the kind of community that we are building in Catholic Author. It's the super friendly creative community 
for the modern Catholic author, uh, a place to give and get feedback, share your insights and your works in progress, and build a network of supportive friends, plus a whole lot more. Come and check us out. Join us at catholicauthor.us. Um, so like I was saying, I want to ask you about uh, creating characters uh, and not being preachy, but, you know, making it real, you know. Um, that's the thing that I've appreciated about just watching Chrism and the titles that they put out. They're like, they're edgier. Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are a little darker. Um, how have you kind of uh, wrestled with that? The sort of trying to write something that's faith inspired, but actually grounding it in a, a story that people are going to want to share, even if they don't believe in the same religion or, right. or you know, approach. Yeah, um, I I have whole classes on this <laughs> that I've written about how to like dig down to the soul of a character. Um, but something yeah. that my husband and I tried to put words to actually last year on vacation, this is what we talk about when we're on vacation, um, is I, I really think the secret is that you're not just presenting answers for your characters to discover, you're asking deep questions for them to wrestle with. And often, you know, I don't even, I don't know what the answer is when I introduce it. I just explore it and know that if I'm exploring it through the eyes of faith, um, what we're going to, the, the journey we're going to be on is one that God is guiding. And so the idea of, um, you know, writing characters that resonate with real people, well, you do that by being authentic and by being vulnerable with these characters and showing the ugly and showing the hope and showing the weakness and showing the strength. And I think often when a book comes off as flat or when the characters come off as flat or preachy, it's because you're not going down deep enough. You're just staying at this one surface level and trying to hit your talking points, right? Like they're just, mm -hmm. they're just saying the canned answers that you've already come up with. And that never rings true. So instead, you know, figure out what, what um, gifts they have been giving, which ones they might be misusing, and where are they not being obedient? What are they not listening to? And what are they listening to? Are they listening to voices they shouldn't be listening to? And, you know, what a, what is it that they believe that's wrong? And what truth would, would take them to where they need to be? Um, and another thing I love to do is just ask the question, not of, you know, what is my character's journey, but who does my character need to be by the end and what plot points are going to get them there? Um, cause you know, I'm all about life is not about the circumstances and the, the plot that happens to us. Life is about who we are becoming in God. Uh, so that's what I like to explore with the characters of who they need to become and, um, how they do that. Yeah, I think a great, uh, I don't remember who said it, but it was like uh, authors don't really, it actually might have been um, Flannery O'Connor who said authors don't write because we have answers. You know, apologists and evangelists can do that. And I'll just paraphrase. We write to dramatize the question and to dramatize the journey. And some people might not even have thought of the question as yeah. deeply as we want to go with the character. And then by the end, you're like, well, what is the answer? And the character has to live that out yep, um, exactly. so that it makes sense as well. Um, so you mentioned classes. Do you do you offer classes that are available online somewhere for people to go more deeply into what you just mentioned? Yep. Yeah, I've been teaching at writers' conferences for about a decade. So I had my list of classes already prepared. And when COVID shut everything down, I was like, 
why don't I just record them and put them online so they can be found on my website. I have a classes and workshops tab and I think there's about 20 of them up right now. So yeah, fantastic. take your pick. <laughs> and we'll, um, for the sake of it, what's the name of the website? And we'll come back to it in a minute as well. Sure. It's rosannamwhite.com. There we go. So that's where you can, people can check out courses. Um, your writing process. So how do you make it work for you? Is it a date a week? Is it daily 20 minutes? What does that environment feel like for you? How do you make it work? Yeah, it has changed a lot over the years. Um, my husband and I both work from home and we homeschool. So there are four of us in the house all the time. Um, so traditionally, morning has been my most creative and productive time. So I would get up before the kids and get two hours of writing in. Um, and my goal is always 2,000 words a day. Um, in recent years, as my responsibilities with other things have grown with the publishing company, and I'm a cover designer for freelance authors, uh, so as those responsibilities have increased and my kids have gotten more independent, I have taken to batching tasks. So I'll do cover designs this day and writing this day. And uh, in the in most recent years, I've actually been writing in big chunks of time. So I will take a week and do no other work and just spend the time writing. And when I do that and when I allow myself to get in that groove and, you know, I say the story is before my eyes, I can write 10,000 words in a day. So it takes me two wow. weeks like that wow. to write a book. Um, so I have I have all manner of methods. I just pluck whichever mm -hmm. one out that <laughs> fits with the circumstances of the time and the deadline. That's awesome. No, it's so encouraging that there's there are different ways to go. Yep, absolutely. Um, and sometimes if you just don't have the ability to, it's like an advent then, or, or a Lent maybe, uh, where you're filling up with energy and preparation for when you can just sort of light that match. Yep, yep. Um, Get all the other stuff done and out of the way so it's not bothering you and then focus. Yeah. What's uh, what's next for you? Do you? Is there a new project that you're considering or edging towards there <laughs> there are deadlines in what are we place. talking about <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um yeah so i have uh i am in the middle of a series with bethany house the third book comes out in september it's called worthy of legend and then the wow. following winter probably january or february i have a standalone coming from bethany house called yesterday's tides which is world war one world war two um, dual timeline spy love story thing. Uh, great fun. Love it. And I have um, a new series beginning with them the next summer. So I that's what I need to write right now. Um, and I'm also working with guideposts on some of their fiction series. So um, there's a series of mysteries called Secrets from Grandma's Attic, and I'm writing a book in that. And they're doing an Extraordinary Women of the Bible series. So um, I'm writing about Mary Magdalene. So I'm very excited about that one, too. So that's what's coming up <laughs> right now. And um, yeah, so the one I'll be working on is for a series called The Imposters. Um, about aristocrats who are basically spying on their own. So great fun. Wow. Um, my wife and I are midway through the Gilded Age uh, right now. So that sounds like that sounds like fun. My goodness. How can people get in touch with you, um, Rosianna, I'm, to join your list? And Yeah, I am everywhere. Very easy to find. So, of course, my home base is my website, rosannamwhite.com. Um, right there on the homepage, you can sign up for my newsletter. And uh, you'll get a free bonus chapter if you do that. 
And so the newsletter actually goes out every week. And if you want to keep in touch with me, that is the best way to do it because I send out my blog posts. I post twice weekly on my blog. Um, any sales that are going on, any giveaways I'm doing, um, any podcasts that I have up, I, 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 I record my blog blog posts and call them podcasts. That's what I do. And um, so those will be in there. Um, I have what I call tea party book clubs once a month where we read a book, talk about it, and I have sent you a package of tasty treats to enjoy while we talk. So that's a lot of fun. And you can find me on all social media sites at Rosanna M. White. That is awesome. I should have asked you more about that. Okay, well, people have to just check the show notes. They can jump on over to your website and learn more about uh, signing up for all of that. Uh, lastly, my favorite part of every every interview is if you had one minute to share a message of encouragement to other faith-inspired fiction writers, other Catholic authors, what would you want to share with them? I, well, okay, first of all, I totally steal this from my best friend who writes for teens, um, but twofold. First, your journey is no one else's. We always want to compare ourselves to authors we admire. We want our, our road to publication to look like theirs, and it never does. Um, our path is going to be unique, and we just have to trust that our path is progressing at the rate at which God wants it to, and um, that every step along the way is to prepare us, which leads into the second point, which is if this is your dream, you have to respect it enough to put in the time and put in the effort, even when it seems like nothing's happening. Um, remember how long people go to school and work to become doctors or lawyers or engineers. Does your dream deserve any less? So just know that it is gonna take years to get to the point where you're really ready for publication. And that is exactly as it should be. Hey there, thanks for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please give it a thumbs up. Go ahead and uh, subscribe to us on YouTube, uh, Spotify. You know, you can head on over to catholicauthor.us and join the mailing list and get notified uh, usually each Wednesday once a week of all of the new podcasts and blog posts that we've written and the updates going on in our community. But please do share up the one person that you think would really like to hear this particular interview uh, and maybe learn from the guest that we just chatted with. Um, you know, come and check us out at the community we're building in Catholic Author. It's the super friendly creative community for the modern Catholic author. Come and give, get feedback, share your insights and your works in progress, build a network of supportive friends. Plus, there's a whole lot more going on. Check us out. Join us at catholicauthor.us. Until next time, keep writing.